You remember the good old days when a national tragedy, when a horrific loss of life was something that only happened every couple of years, not every single month? You know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's entirely appropriate to say this, but honestly, folks, I kind of wonder, okay, what, what city will be in August? Cities. There's an issue going on right now today in more than one city, isn't there? Remember when, the, remember when the news could only shove it in our face and actually make it worse for an hour or two a day? <laughs> Not 24 hours a day selling commercials. Man, folks, we have a problem. This is way beyond cliches. This is way beyond, boy, things are getting worse. But we have, we have a problem. And yes, we, we, need to, we need to pause and we need to, to pray. But, but folks, I think, I really believe the church needs to start praying in a new light that as we, as we seek an answer for what's going on in our culture, that we're praying, God, may I be the answer. We, we, we forget we're the body of Christ on this planet. We're to be the light. We're to be the good. We're to be the answer of, of what's going on in our culture. There, there are so many individuals, so many you know, in different professions, in different races that are afraid, that are struggling, that are frustrated, that are hurt. We tend, because of this past week in Dallas and other cities, maybe to think of, of big groups. But folks, there's millions of issues going on in millions of homes. Man, if we see anything right now, it's that the people around us are hurting and they're frustrated and they're angry. And aren't we supposed to be the embodiment of something different? So as we pray, let's pray, God, may I be an answer. You know, I find it interesting when Jesus teaches us that one of the most important commands is to love our neighbor. Do you remember how he explains who our neighbor is? He uses an illustration of loving and serving across racial lines. He uses an example of loving and serving across our prejudices. I want to encourage you, as we go to pray, I want to encourage you to be thinking about doing two things. Boy, I just can't. What would be the power of all of us in this room joining the other campus, joining the other services, if all of us were to do these two things this week? Number one, bless a cop. Bless a cop. You'd have to say, God, show me the cop, show me when and where, and I trust that that moment will show you what you can do to serve and bless that officer. The second thing, bless somebody of another race. Do no more, do no less than what Jesus called you and I to do when he said love your neighbor. And that is cross those racial lines, cross those prejudices and serve their need. Again, I trust that the moment you see it, you'll understand what the need is and what you can do. But what if we all did that this week? And then what if we all had the crazy notion that it's not something we do this week, but it's a way we live life? Let's pray, and let's pray we're the answer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Multiple cities in our nation. God, it's, 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 
because of homosexuality, it's because of terrorism, it's because of racism, it's because of fear, it's because of anger, it's because we don't like each other. God, there's all these issues and we're just moving from city to city to city, bringing the, bringing the destruction. God, you have called us to be a light. You have called us to carry a message of peace. It's the gospel. We will complain about everything in our nation and not share the gospel with one person. God, would you show us how we can be an answer? I don't imagine I'm going to do anything this week, God, that's going to fix what happened in Dallas or in other cities. But, but God, could I be an answer for somebody in my community? God, could I share the gospel? Could I be a point of, of encouragement, a point of help? Lord, there's so much to pray about. I, I, I pray for those officers that are still in the hospital. I pray for your healing and protection over their life and well-being, their homes. God, I, I, I pray for the officers that have passed, Lord, in the other cities, individuals that have, have been shot and killed. Lord, I, I don't know what it's like to be in those living rooms right now, this very morning. The fear, the hurt, the anger. I, I pray, God, in a very special way, your, your peace and your presence would reside in those homes. You would be for those families what they need. God, I do, I do lift up our, our governor, our president, our White House, our Congress, and I, I, I pray they're, they're thinking through right and appropriate ideas, right and appropriate ways of handling all of these issues and the things that are making people so hurt and so angry. But God, I, I don't actually believe the answer comes from them. I believe the answer's in this room and it's in churches all across this country. It's when believers simply start walking as you've called us to walk. God, I do pray for those churches in Dallas today that are gathering, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're, they're hurting, they're crying. God, would you guide them and lead them to what they can be for their city? Guide us today, oh God, into what we can be for our city right here, right now. Lord, we need your help in all of this and we ask for it in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Gosh, how... How appropriate as we try to understand our news, as we try to understand our world, that, that, that we're where we are in our sermon series, the, the messages that we've been looking at these last several weeks that, that bring us here today as we look at a question of just how much power does Satan have? When we look at what's going on in our country right now, we'd say, boy, I think he has a lot. How much power does, does Satan have? You know, to answer a question like that's a little bit tricky because first of all, we've got to decide how are we measuring power? Are, are we talking about his physical strength? I don't know how much Satan can bench press. I'm guessing it's more than me. I know that's not setting the bar very high. I, I, don't, I don't, financial strength. I'm not guessing he has a bank account somewhere, but I'm also guessing that phys, financial resources are not Satan's concern. Maybe we would measure that in terms of political power. Boy, I bet we can't even really grasp the power he has in, in governments and, and in leaders. How, how do we measure that? How do we measure his power? Here's a very technical term. I think he has a lot. 
I, I think he has a lot of power. Now, I, I say that. Let me say this. Actually, I think I can answer it very specifically. Exactly how much power Satan has. He has all the power that God allows him to have and not one bit more. And it serves God's purposes. It's, it's not the same power in every place at every time. It'll serve God's purposes in that place and in that time. So over here, God might allow Satan to bench press a thousand pounds. Over here, Satan can't do a push-up. In this situation, he might allow Satan to throw the wealth of the world at a, at a situation, at a person. And, and over here, Satan can't rub two nickels together. Over here he has, we know in history, he has allowed Satan to move governments and to move armies. And, and over here, and we probably didn't even know it, Satan couldn't get a seat at the table. All of Satan's power serves God's purposes. We have introduced to you, we have been talking about these last several weeks, kingdoms in conflict, kingdoms at war, a war between God and Satan. But folks, understand this, 101% of Satan's power serves God's purposes. As the great reformer Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. Okay, so as we picture a war, as we picture a fight, don't picture two heavyweight champions in there battling it out, blow for blow, and you and I are anxiously waiting to see who's going to win. Nothing like that is going on. You know, I, I guess you could say to a certain degree, I, I don't actually need to know how much power Satan has, because I know who holds all the power. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hey, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, when we're in church and we say that, we say, yeah, go God. But the power Satan has is real. And he uses that power to do real harm, to do real hurt, to bring real suffering. And, and so maybe the question we're left with is not how much power does Satan have, but maybe the question is, why? Why does God have a devil? Why is there a Satan? I want to start in trying to answer that question this morning with a, a passage. I think maybe it's the easiest passage in all the Bible to find because it's Genesis chapter 1. If you can get to the first page of your Bible, you're there. Hope you have a Bible with you and, and open it up there. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read the first four verses. And just so as we're reading this, you don't get a little confused, the verses I'm reading do not answer the question I just asked. You're going to be reading this as, this doesn't say anything about Satan's power or why there's a devil. No, the, the verses I'm reading, we're just seeking to set a context for how we're going to try to answer these questions. So Genesis chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Says in the beginning. Those are three big words, isn't it? In the beginning. Now, the beginning being referred to here is everything that you and I know and try to explore. It's our universe. It's, it's the physical realm. It's not necessarily the beginning of everything. 
It's the beginning of what you and I can see and what we can touch and what we can explore. For instance, it's not the beginning of God, for God has no beginning. God, God goes backwards eternally. God goes forwards eternally. There is no beginning. There is no end. It's why we call him the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Wherever you go in space and time, God can say, I am. So it's not the beginning of God. It's not the beginning of everything, for there's already been another creation. There's already been the creation of the, the spiritual realm. Probably the part of that that we can most kind of grasp, and even that's a little bit challenging for us, but it's what we've been talking about. That's the angelic realm. There's already been the, the, the creation of, of the angelic kingdom, of the angels, and, and we know there has already been a fall. There's been a Lucifer that decided, hey, I... I want to be God. I think I can make a run at this. I think I can create my own good. I think I can do my own thing. And piecing together a handful of passages in the Bible, we might suggest that as much as a third of the angelic kingdom went with them. Bought into this idea that there's a, a goodness outside of God. So one third of the angelic kingdom and Satan moved into a rebellious relationship with Satan and their, I mean with God and their realm began, became what we just read about. That darkness, that void, that chaos, that's the realm of Satan. That's the realm of, of the demonic horde. And it was right into, I guess you could say the enemy camp. It was right into Satan's world. It was right into Satan's kingdom that God walked in and he said, let there be light. And there was light and it was good. And God didn't stop at light. If we go on and read the, the rest of chapter one, we see that it is God. It's not Satan. It's, it's not impersonal, unnatural forces. It is God who brought light, who brought life, who brought order, who brought purpose. It's what he does. It is Satan that delivers to us darkness and, and chaos. Now Satan and his kingdom, say, or the angels and their kingdom, they've made their decision about where they are on God and they are moved eternally into that status, into that choice. You and I still choose. You and I are still living in a drama, we're still living in a story where we make a choice. Do I believe that God is the goodness? Do I believe he is good? Do I want to come up under his goodness and trust in that goodness? Now, as we talked about last week, saying that I trust God in his goodness is more than just saying I, I'm trusting God for more than his blessings and goodies. It, it also means I trust that he's good when he speaks. He, he was being good to me when he said, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him only. In all of his word, that's his goodness. So in obedience, I'm showing I'm under God as the goodness. Or I follow the idea and the plan of Satan. I don't need anybody to tell me what's good. I don't need anybody to tell me what I, I'm going to do. I, I can create my own life. I can create my own goodness. I, I can do my own thing. And what we find is all we just create is darkness and chaos. I mean, you can say, what's going on? God is showing Satan and God is showing all of creation that when you rebel against him, when you rebel against his goodness and seek to create your own, you're only going to find darkness and chaos. I mean, that, that, 
In essence, you can kind of say, hey, that's, that's the point we're making. That's the point that is being made every single day. Boy, there's a lot of destruction in this point being made, isn't there? I mean, I might look at that and say, oh, well, okay, God, I get that. That's a right and good thing. Um, how long is it going to take? I mean, it's been like thousands of years, right? How long does it take? Now, the moment I ask myself that question, I mean, two things come to my mind. I'm, I'm mindful of Second Peter chapter 3 that says, for God, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. Okay, so, okay, God, you and I are operating on a very different understanding of time, a very different experience of time. What is a long time for me? A lifetime or, or human history. What is a long time for me is a, not even a snap of a fingers for you. But, but then there's, a, there's another thing I'm mindful of as I maybe question, wait, hey, what's going on? Is, it, is that there is a promise from God. As he lets the devil be the devil. As he allows him to do certain things. It will serve his promise. That's his prom- it will serve his purpose. That's his promise to you and me. Satan can have no touch on our world. Satan can have no touch on our life that that God does not promise I won't use for good. You're not going to always see it. You're not going to always understand it. You're not going to always be able to connect the dots. Satan will encourage you to try to make your own goodness. I'm telling you, come under my goodness. And and folks, that's really life's story. Which which choice are we going to make? I mean, over and over and over, God is going to show us that where Satan brings darkness, he's going to bring light. Where Satan brings death, and boy, we have seen that in America, God's going to bring life. Will you and I come under God and and come under the worship of him and the obedience of him and the dependence on him? Or will we go and create our own goodness and continue to create the problem? Remember, folks, God is taking mankind to a place of delivering heaven. If we choose to come up under him, there's a heaven. There's an, there's an entire eternity out there for us living in the goodness of God that will never be touched by a drop of blood, by a single tear, by a single moment of pain and frustration and anger. None of that will have any, any touch. But before that gets here, we have to make a choice. Do we want the goodness God has or do we go for the darkness and create our own? That's the human story. It's being played out every day. It's being played out in every home. It's, it, it's the stories that we read in the Bible. They're there for illustration. Story after story showing basically a battle between God's control and Satan's control and who you and I are going to place our lives under. One of my favorite stories that, that illustrates this in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Bless yourself this week, would you? And take 20 minutes, I think tops, 20 minutes and read Genesis 37 to 50. Genesis 37 to 50. That's the, the life and story of Joseph. God comes to Joseph. I know some of y'all are familiar with this story. God comes to Joseph in a dream and he basically says to him, Joseph, I got a great plan for your life. I want to do a great thing in your life. I want to do something for my people through your life. And, and Joseph says, yes, yeah, sign me up for that. I'm all about you doing great things through me. And boy, from that moment on, Joseph's life went straight in the garbage can. I mean, it just really, it, it just could not have gotten much worse. I mean, things were fine and good. Then God's got this great plan for his life. And the next thing that happens is Joseph is being abused and beaten up by his brothers. 
Some of y'all know what that is. Abuse, physical abuse inside the home. Not, not just abuse, but abuse by people that, you know, I'm supposed to be protected here. I'm supposed to be loved here. This is a place where people watch over me, not, not hurt me. But it didn't stop at, at, at physical abuse. Their hatred, their own problems, led them to selling him into slavery. I can't even fathom what that's like. As you're being drug away, that the last glimpse you have of home is your family counting money that they just got for your life. Man, he's, he's been physically abused. He's been sold into slavery. I don't know quite how he does it. You'll find this cat has a way of landing on his feet all the time. And sure enough, he, he's a slave, but he lands on his feet. And, and, and the, the, his, the slave owner kind of looks at Joseph and says, you know, everything this guy touches turns to gold. And so it's not long before the owner just, he just basically gives Joseph the keys to everything. Here, here, here's my employees. Here's my slaves. Here's my holdings. Here's my business. You just take care of everything. I'm just going to sit here, drink tea, and count my money. And that's, that's pretty much what happens. That's what, pretty much what Joseph is, is able to provide. And so you think, okay, maybe, maybe this is it. Life is getting a little bit better. And, and then somebody tells a lie about Joseph. You ever been lied about? In fact, it's, it, the lie kind of evolves into a false accusation. I mean, there's a little bit of difference between a lie and an accusation. You've been lied about, you've been accused. Did you lose something because of that? A friendship? Maybe a job? What'd you lose? You know what, you know what Joseph lost? He lost his freedom. I don't know how much freedom you have as a slave, but he lost that because now he's in prison. I mean, his life is just this continual spiral downward. Unless you think, oh, he's just having to hold on to God for a few moments. He's having a really bad summer. No, this story I'm telling folks evolved over 13 years I mean, you know, as, as I find myself in prison, I don't know, I think I'm raising my hand, dialing into God, whatever to do to get his attention, saying, hey, God, is there an opt-out of your great plan for my life? Could, could I choose, is there a no thank you button? Because I'd really like to get off this plan, okay? This just isn't working really well for me. Again, Joseph kind of lands on his feet, and the warden sees everything this guy does works, and, and, and the warden puts Joseph, a prisoner, over the prison. Obviously, that brings Joseph into a contact, into relationship with a lot of the, the, the prisoners there. And he ends up meeting, kind of relating with these, these two guys that are actually in prison. Uh, they're, they're government officials. They got kind of sideways with the Pharaoh. Pharaoh was in a bad mood one day and threw him in prison. These are kind of high-ranking, up-the-ladder officials, and he gets to know them, ends up helping them, explaining some things, and, and one, of the guy gets out, one of the guy gets out of prison. And you know what Joseph says to him? What every single one of us in here would have said to him. Hey, could you, uh, could you get me out of here? Could you, uh, you know, put in a word for me here, man? I didn't, I didn't do this. You've got to get, get me out. And guy, oh, man, absolutely. I don't know quite how this happens, but... It, the scripture says the guy gets out and he, he forgot. I mean, that's, that's not the worst thing that can happen in the world, right? I mean, we've all forgotten something. We've all forgotten someone. Oh my gosh, I can't. That was kind of important. I was pretty sure I should have made a call there. 
Now, in, in, in Joseph's case, being forgotten means he spends several more years in prison. Boy, that's a lot of time to think about how nobody cares. That's a lot of time to think about nobody knows where I am, nobody cares where I am, nobody wants to know where I am. That's a lot of time to think about how the goodness of God ain't working out so well for me. And then, folks, this, the story turns on lightning. It, it, is, it, is the most in, it is the most incredible illustration of being in the exact right spot at the exact right moment. Again, you got to read it. I'm not detailing all of this, but literally overnight, Joseph goes from sitting in prison to being the prime minister of Egypt. Egypt at this time in history is the top nation in the, in the world. And so you could pretty much say he went from prison to being the second most powerful person in the world. That's pretty cool. That's God. You know what? God had a plan. God had a plan for protecting and providing for his people. He saw what was coming in the future and he moved Joseph in to be able to be there for what God was going to do. And you know what? Satan attacked that plan. He attacked it. He attacked it. He attacked it to just try to destroy that plan. And God just kind of smiled because with each attack, with each attack, God was just laying the road for where he was going the whole time anyway. And God's plan comes to fruition. Folks, Satan is never in control in a way that it doesn't end up serving God's purposes. And you know what? Joseph believed that. Joseph believed that so powerfully, so profoundly, it wasn't something he just laid in bed at night and held on to as a warm blanket. It wasn't just a hope that he had when he was in church. That hope, that faith guided how he actually lived life, guided how he actually responded to people. Because as the story continues to unfold, Joseph's brothers, remember how the story got started? Joseph's brothers end up back before Joseph. They don't even know who he is. They don't even recognize him when they see him. How do you not recognize your own brother? I mean, yeah, I know it's been 13 years, but surely they're going to recognize him. I, I think part of it is it's not even a matter of his physical features. Their brother is a slave at best, more than likely is probably dead by now. He's not the prime minister of the world. And so when they come before Joseph, they don't even recognize who he is. But when they do recognize who he is, boy, that's a bad moment. What's the thought that goes through your mind right there? Oh, this is about to be a bad moment. I mean, they have to be thinking, okay, best case scenario, he throws us in prison for the rest of our lives. More likely scenario, he has us all killed. You know what he does? He forgives them. No lecture, no lesson, no I forgive you, but there's going to be this incredible awkwardness for a while. Not only does he say I forgive you, he actually restores and provides for them. He blesses them. He gives them everything that they need. Do you know why? Do you know how he was able to do that? The story kind of reaches its culmination in Genesis 50, 20. I think, th this isn't even the whole verse, it's a phrase. I think this phrase is maybe one of the most important phrases in the entire Bible. 
I think this is one of the most important things that we can grasp. As his own brothers cannot possibly believe they're forgiven. You know why? Because they don't deserve to be forgiven. They're mean and they are evil. They deserve justice. They deserve revenge. They know it. They know what they would do if they were in Joseph's spot. But what does Joseph say? He says, what you meant for evil. I'm so glad he says this because it just kind of makes it clear to me that Joseph hasn't gone nuts. You know, I just wonder, you're you're able to do this because you've just lost your mind. No, he says, hey, you know, you guys, what, what you did 13 years ago, it was evil. What you did to me was wrong and it was evil. But what you did to me is not what shapes and defines my life. But it's God and the good that he meant. Joseph had such a profound belief that my relationship vertically, that what is going on between me and God is a bigger thing, it's a more important thing, and it has more impact on who I am and what life is for me than anything that is going on horizontally. Although, think about it, folks. What do we see, feel, and touch? What is going on horizontally? And here's a place where a man says, no, it's what goes on vertically that shapes how I respond and live horizontally. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who's the you in your life? Who's the you? Is is it like Joseph? Is it a member of your own family? Is it a friend that betrayed Is it an enemy who always had it out for you? Maybe it's not a person. It's a storm. Man, ever since that storm, nothing's been the same. It's some kind of crisis going on in the world. And it's just, it's changed everything. What would you point to and say, man, that is evil. And that evil is, is killing me. That evil is destroying me. That evil has put me in constant fear and anger and frustration. Folks, that's the very thing that God promises. No, I'm going to use that for good. That's not going to destroy your life. It's going to build your life. It's going to build the story that I'm building in this world. How incredible is that? That's the promise that you and I live with. And it's more than a warm blanket to be held onto at night. It's a way to live and respond. Gosh, the story of the Bible goes on. Esther. Esther is another favorite of mine. Short story in the Old Testament. Read it this week. It's incredible. You know, Esther is a little Bible trivia here. Esther's the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God. What's this book about? It it starts with a G, ends with a D. It's not a trick question. What's this book about? God, yeah, man. Every page is about God. Every, Every page is showing God. There is actually an entire book of the Bible in the Old Testament, Esther, that never mentions God. Now, there is a verse. There's one verse where Esther says... Have the people pray for me. Now, obviously, when you and I hear the word pray, we, you know, we associate that with God. We know she means pray to God for me. She doesn't use the word God because in that book, nowhere is God's name mentioned. You know what the purpose of Esther is? You know what the purpose of that story? When no one can hear God, when no one can see God, when no one is talking about God, make no mistake, he's in control of every single detail. Esther's another story of God preparing, God moving to protect his people. In that case, it actually brings vengeance. I mean, hey, don't we look at the evil in the world and say, hey, God, do, do we ever even the score? 
Is there ever revenge for the wrongs that have, have been done? And, and Esther says, oh yeah, there sure is. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't put this with vengeance. Esther is a book of the Bible that actually has comedy in it. God's sovereign control actually results in some comedy. Check out Esther this week. Maybe, maybe the story in the Bible that most directly, specifically points to the, to the point I'm, I'm trying to make today would be that of Job. Job, in, in his story, obviously we know him. Maybe you've heard his name. You know, we think of Job, we think of suffering. In Job 1 and 2, Satan actually comes before God. And, and, and he says, you know, the only reason these people worship you, the only reason they're here today is because of the goodies and the trinkets you give them. You let the goodies dry up and they will curse you. You let the goodies dry up and they will not acknowledge you. And, and, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? You know what, I'm, I'm always blown away by that. So much of this book is about how we trust God, right? You ever thought about God trusting you? If Satan were to say that about this room, would God go, uh-uh. Have you thought about my servant? Fill in your name. Would God, could God say, no, no, you watch him, watch her. They know me, they acknowledge me, they know I'm God, I'm creator, I'm judge whether they're getting goodies or not. And, and, and so Satan says, okay, let me tell you what, let's, let's do a little test here, let me have them. And God, and I, folks, I'm not saying we should feel good about this, I'm not saying I, I entirely understand this, God gives them permission but the point I want to make there is while God gives Satan permission to touch Job's life, he sets the limits of what he can do. And Satan, in all of his rebellion, here's why I say, do not picture two heavyweights going at it, good versus evil. We're waiting until the 15th round and see how the call's going to be made. That's not at all what is happening. Satan, in all of his rebellion, cannot move one inch not one millimeter outside of the line that God draws for him God sets the boundaries on what he could do now Satan moves and works in those boundaries and it's awful he kills 10 of Job's children all 10 of his children he then wipes out all of his wealth you know what Job says at the end of that day Job chapter 1 verse 21 the Lord gives and the Lord takes away Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's God regardless of the circumstances in my life. He's God regardless of the circumstances in our nation. And solely because he is God, I will worship my creator and my judge. Satan comes back and says, you, you, you made the rope too short for me. You, you drew the lines too light. G give me another shot at him and he'll curse you and... Ah, gosh, God says, okay. I wish he hadn't. If I'm Job, I'm saying, God, I'm really seriously, I, can I just pass one test and be done? God says, okay. And, and, and Satan says, let me have his health. Let me touch his body and he'll curse you. And, and, and Satan goes in and he, and he takes Job's health. All that I just described takes place in two chapters, two short chapters, and Job is not a short book. As a matter of fact, you'll find Job to be one of the longest books of the Bible, one of the longest books of the Old Testament. Probably can't read that one in 20 minutes. From chapter 3 to chapter 38, what you have is Job hurting. 
Oh, he believes in God. Hey, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, he takes away. That doesn't mean he doesn't bleed. That doesn't mean he doesn't cry. That doesn't mean he doesn't hurt. And, and, and as, this, as he lives in this suffering, I mean, folks, there's nothing unusual. What happens in Job would happen to any of us. The questions just start to pour out. God, where are you? Shoot, I thought this was kind of supposed to, you know, be of some effort, you know, some profit for me. I mean, don't you protect? Don't, don't, don't you provide? Did I do something? I swear if I did something, I'll fix it. I, is there something I did to cause all this? God, I sure don't feel like I did anything to cause all this. I mean, folks, this is, this is 36 chapters of this, of these questions pouring out. God shows up in chapter 38. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not entirely comfortable with what happens one thing kind of amazes me. There's two things that happen. One, one kind of amazes me. When God shows up and begins to answer Job, he never refers to Satan. Now, if I'm God, I'm going to say, man, Job, I love you. I didn't. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, you I, listen, I know you feel like I've done this to you. It was him. It was Satan. And it was. I mean, that's the truth. But God never, I mean, you and I know about Satan because we're readers, right? We're just observing the story from a distance. I know as a reader from chapters 1 and 2 that there's Satan and he did all these things. God shows up in chapter 38 and he doesn't say, Job, it was Satan. He doesn't do that. You know why? Because folks, at the end of the day, it's not Satan's story. At the end of the day, it's not Satan's power. Ultimately, God authorized that and God doesn't run from the responsibility. It's my story. It's my power. I allowed it. So it's, your, it's, it's you and me. Now, that part, I think, okay, now that's kind of cool. But then where God goes next, I, it's a little bit frustrating. Because as God begins to answer Job, do you know what? He doesn't answer one of Job's questions. Not one. He's been asking questions for, for 36 chapters. 90% of this book is, is questions in the midst of suffering. And God doesn't answer a single one. God, one, right? Just one? Yeah, give us something to work with here, Lord. If I were to summarize, I'm not quoting a verse or a phrase. If I were to summarize, and, and I encourage you, don't take my summary. Go home and you can read that in five minutes, chapter 38 to, to 40, 41. This is what God's response is. Job, your, your knowledge, your experience, not only yours, let's add all of humanity. It would fit in a thimble and there'd be room left. My knowledge, my experience... The oceans of your planet can't contain it. You don't have the mental capacity to critique who I am and what I'm doing. I'm not going to start explaining something as if I need you to judge, critique, and approve of what's going on. Now folks, that can sound kind of harsh on one level. On another level, it's actually meant to bring us to a place of peace. There is a drama unfolding. And God is the source of all good. Will we trust that? Will we come up under that goodness? Or will we go and try to find our own? 
If you go find your own, you're going to find darkness and chaos. And I just can't help but believe all you have to do is live one day on this planet and figure out, yeah, everything we're producing is dark and chaotic. Or will we turn from our sin, will we turn from ourselves and come place our lives under Christ and his word? God does not send the devil to do evil. God does not tempt the devil to do evil. God does let the devil be the devil. And promises you and me that him being the devil will never touch us in a way that doesn't fulfill his good plan. At the end of it all, Job said this in verse chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The psalmist adds to this idea in 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 119 verse 91 says, All things, all things, all devils, all storms, all people, the good ones and the bad ones. And really the good ones? There's just bad ones that are options. All crises, all events, every day, every event, every devil, everything. They're all your servants. They're all going to serve your goodness and your purposes. Proverbs 16, the Lord has made everything. Folks, do you see the consistent message of Scripture? Do you see what every story in Scripture is ultimately proving? The Lord has made everything for its purpose. Even the wicked. Gosh, look what the wicked are getting away with. Look at the day of trouble that they're causing. Now, it's going to slide right into who I am to where I'm going and the good that I am doing in this world. Folks, do you rise? This is, this is so much more than that there's a silver lining behind every cloud. This is so much more than a promise that when a mess has been made, God's going to come in after the fact and clean it up. Folks, God's not coming in after the fact and cleaning it up. God is the fact. God is the fact. And in that, we rest. Maybe a little bit hard to say. I don't know when or how a Joseph or a Job would have done it. But maybe, maybe in that we even find the ability to smile. I want to I give you a homework assignment for next week, okay? You have to turn this in on 8.5 by 11 in the top right hand corner. Put your name, your date of birth, and your social security number. We'll be collecting these at the start of the class next week, Okay. I I want you to think about a story in your life, a place where evil happened, where wrong, where hurt, where pain, where confusion. It might have been something very personal, a health crisis. It might have been an attack from a person. It might have been an impersonal force issue. What is a place where there there was harm, there was wrong, there was hurt? And had that not happened, the good would have never resulted. It was that thing that became the way the, the, the good happened. I, I hope you have lots of stories like that in your life. But I want you to think of, of one. And I want you to think of how would I communicate that in 30 to 60 seconds. Now, day in and day out in life, you don't have to be limited to 30 to 60 seconds. But folks, you know what? You and I live in a world where, let's be honest, it really does look like Satan's in a lot of control, if not total control. 
And when the Bible tells you and me to encourage one another, it's with these stories. Because sometimes we get beaten down enough, we, we do forget that God's in control. We don't have the faith to hold on to him like a Job or a, a Joseph. And we need each other to tell these stories. So, so I want you to think about that story. I want you to be prepared to tell that story. And then don't skip church next week because you think you're going to be put on the spot. You're you're not going to be put on the spot. But I do want you to come prepared with this story. Now let me tell you something. We're going to have a a kind of a unique, a little bit different, I think a very special time of worship next week. You know James introduced the series. He did the first two messages. I've done the the last two. We're going to both do next week. And he's he's going to introduce an aspect. He's going to deliver a part of a message that is going to lead us then to a certain kind of prayer and a certain kind of worship. So there's going to be a part of the message that's right up front. Might want to be here on time. Crazy idea, I know. But but on time next week, and then that'll happen, and then I'll follow that with a different type of message. This all falls inside of our our series on Satan. Last next week's the last one. I'll, I'll follow up with another brief message that will lead to another type uh, of worship and prayer and your story is going to fit in there somewhere okay so come back prepared amen amen Amen. all right good solid 19 of us will be here next week for that for that exercise let's have a word of prayer okay heavenly father we come before you god would you give us the kind of faith that joseph had God, I confess my own lack of faith and that I'm afraid to pray that. I'm almost afraid of what you might do with that. God, give us the faith of a, of a Joseph, of a Job, of an Esther. That we're in the, when we are in the midst of what looks like the total control of Satan, we're able to live and act and react under the control of you. And your goodness. Oh God, we need your help for that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.